Stuck with the scripture reading, Luke 8, chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. Luke 8, verse, I mean, Luke 8, chapter 8, verse 4 to 15. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he spake by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up, and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had, had, had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they, which in honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bring forth fruit with patience. God bless you, church. Please turn to Matthew chapter 13, just as we start. And then if you could also turn to Hebrews. I'm going to slip a passage in here from Hebrews chapter 12. Aren't you glad we can open up the Bible today? Amen. More and more, the Bible is controversial. And this is, in some kind of ways, the most controversial hour of the week when we open up the Bible and speak the truth of God's Word. By the way, good to have Omar with us here today. Omar came to our church and had moved out of the city, but great to see you, Omar. And it is wonderful to have Ambika's sister, Indira, with us from Trinidad and Suresh's mom, Shirley. And uh, so we pray for you, Shirley, especially in we know that you lost your dear husband uh, the last couple of years. So may the Lord bless you and give you peace. But this is a controversial hour. And Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, in verse 18, and this is the parable of the sower. That's what we're going to t look at today. And amazingly, Jesus names this parable for us. So we don't have to guess at what we should call it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. There it is. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom, the word of the kingdom is the word of the king. The word of the kingdom is authoritative. The word of the king, the kingdom is true. The word of the kingdom is the word of God. But he says, if they don't understand it and understand it not, then cometh that wicked one and catches away that which was sown in his heart. So what must we, what must we make sure we do with the word of the kingdom? Understand the word of God. Okay, so. We're living in interesting times. And I say this to our young people today. I say it to all of us. That there's no longer a way to really separate religion from politics today. There's no way to separate religion from education, medicine, or even what we hear in the media. It's all intertwined. Do you realize that? 
our atheistic, Marxist, secular, humanist culture. And that's a religion. Atheism, secular, humanism with a Marxist slant is religion. And that's the religion of our culture. We have to understand that that's what our, we're going to be hearing. Whether you turn on the news, whether you go to a movie, whether you watch a show on TV, whether you send your children to school, there is going to be an indoctrination of this false religion in every major American institution. That's my controversial statement today. We really need to understand that. There is an attempt of this secular religion that has taken over our political, our educational, our medicine, our media, every major institution of America. There is an attempt as well to destroy the church. They're not helping to build the church. (laughs) And when you destroy the church, the family. There's an attempt to destroy the family. Because government wants to take care of us all in this system that we're living in. What's happening is the Antichrist kingdom is being formed. In the Bible, in the New Testament, it's called Babylon. (laughs) It hasn't fallen yet. It's being rebuilt A one-world system of politics and economics and monetary one-world system that is antichrist. That's what's being built. That's this secular, humanistic, atheistic, Marxist religion. If you think I'm crazy, I'll be glad to talk more with you about it. But the reality is this system wants you to be ashamed and shut up. Meanwhile, they are not ashamed and they're telling and speaking this religion every chance they get. They will tell our children. They will seek to indoctrinate. They will seek to bring our children into their religion, which is a religion of moral perversion. It is a religion of bodily mutilation. It is a religion of pharmaceutical malpractice. So, let's be awake, parents. We're not living in easy times, but I have good news. We have the Word of God. This is the Word of the Kingdom. This is the Word we must have and we must understand. So, look in Hebrews chapter 12, and then I haven't even started yet, then we'll pray. I may not finish this message, we'll see. Hebrews chapter 12, I want to read at verse 23. So this is where we are. Verse 22, Hebrews chapter 12, actually verse 22. But you are come unto Mount Zion. That's where you've come. You've come before the King and before His eternal kingdom. And He is here and the Spirit of God is here. It says, unto the city of the living God and to the heavenly Jerusalem. And to the innumerable company of angels. Here we are, the people of God, worshiping the great triune God. And yes, we are in His midst. And He is here. His presence is with us. And it says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, it says, and you are come Unto all these, and then to Jesus, we're come to Jesus, amen? The mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not Him that speaketh. He's going to speak today. Jesus is going to speak to you. Don't refuse Him. Make sure you understand. It says, see that you refuse not Him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused Him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from Him that speaketh from heaven. Do you get that? You know, God spoke on earth, it says, in the days of Moses. And then when the people didn't hear what God had said in those days, 
God brought judgment upon Israel. But here he's saying, if we don't hear him that speaks from heaven, and the same God who spoke to Moses and the, and the nation of Israel from earth is speaking today. God is a speaking God. He's speaking to us through his word. So then he says, how shall we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth? But now he hath promised, saying, yet once more, I shake not the earth only, but also the heavens. And this word, I'm reading this because we're talking today about the word of the kingdom. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaking, of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. You know what can be shaken? This culture. And the secular humanistic system that we're in. It will be shaken. It will fall. But you know what will not be shaken? The Word of God. And the Kingdom of Jesus Christ. Wherefore, we receiving a Kingdom which cannot be moved. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Let us have grace. Let us have grace. That's God's strength in us. Whereby we may serve God acceptably. Yes, Lord. With reverence and godly fear. Read verse 29 with me. It says, for our God is a consuming. So now, Lord, take Your Word today and give us that heart to hear and to understand this Word that is so trampled by men. And we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're doing this series on the parables of Jesus Christ. Today is the parable of the sower. The message is having the right heart to hear and understand the Bible. So the good news is we have the Word of God and God is going to do something today because every time the Bible is open, every time the Bible is preached, something happens. The devil comes. <laughs> That's one thing that happens. God speaks. And either the Bible is going to be trampled down and devoured and scorched and withered or ch and choked out or else it can bring forth fruit. As we have a heart to hear and understand the Bible, we can hear the Word of God as Jesus said in this parable, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And we can bring forth fruit a hundredfold for the Lord and for His kingdom. So the big idea of this parable is that we need the right heart to hear and understand the Bible. That's a key word throughout this passage. Look, look in Matthew 13. So when I say the big idea, I'm saying that a repetitive theme in this first parable of Matthew's Gospel in Matthew 13, or it's really, well, not the first parable, but the first parable in this chapter of 13, and we'll talk about it uh, this morning, but notice the, the idea of understanding. In Matthew chapter 13, look in verse 14. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear and shall not understand. Seeing you shall see and shall not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And should what? Understand with their heart. And when they understand, what's the result? And should be converted. And I should heal them. That's what God wants to do. But that's, not what's, that, that's what Satan is preventing, wants to prevent from happening. Satan doesn't want you to believe in Jesus and be saved. He doesn't want you healed of your sinfulness. Understanding. And then verse 19, the verse we read. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understandeth. That's the key. Hearing and understanding. Verse 23, Matthew 23, 13-23, look what it says. But he that received the good seed on the good ground is he that heareth the Word and what? Understandeth it. So we have to hear with understanding. We need to have the right heart to hear and understand. Now, this chapter is a turning point in the Gospel of Matthew. I say it's a turning point because the Jewish establishment has turned against Jesus. They have, they have accused Him of being demon-possessed. And so Jesus has kind of moved out of the synagogue in, where He had been teaching in the earlier part of His ministry, 
And now he goes to the outside. He's, he's in a boat at a beach. But he's not there to swim. The crowds are all gathering around him. So that, that's not going along with what culture was doing. In a sense, Jesus has been cast out of mainline, the mainline culture of his day. He's outside of it. And he's standing on the word of the kingdom. He's the king. And he's preaching the word and seeking to connect with the hearts of those who will hear. So we need to have that right heart to hear and understand the Bible. And my conviction is this, dear friends, that God's word connecting with our heart by the power of his Holy Spirit meets the deepest needs of our life. God's Word will meet the deepest needs of our life when we open up His Word and He speaks to our heart and we know that God who created us, who is King over all the universe, is speaking to us. And so Jesus uses an amazing teaching method to break through the hearts of people by teaching in parables. It was prophesied that the Messiah would do that. And you know, it's an amazing thing that Jesus taught up to 60 parables. I'm not exactly sure of the number. Different people will say different teachings of Jesus might be, might not be. But anyway, up to maybe 60 parables. Do you know how many other parables there are in the New Testament? Maybe one, if any at all. And that's really amazing when you think about it. That Jesus used the parabolic method of teaching as a primary method from this point of His ministry to the end. And so when it comes to teaching by parables, Jesus has no rivals. He is head and shoulders above man in this method of teaching. And this shows that He is the Messiah. Because it was predicted, Psalm 78, that the Messiah would use parables to capture our imagination. So a parable, we defined it as a story of an earthly truth. So it's a real story. It's not a fable. It's actual earthly, an earthly story. And then cast alongside that story is a heavenly truth. And the purpose of the earthly truth and then illustrated by the heavenly truth is to teach an eternal truth. Essentially one big idea. So parables do, I believe, essentially teach, although each parable will teach different things within it, but I believe we should look for the big idea in every parable. So that's why I'm saying today the big idea of this parable is having a heart to hear and understand the Word of God. That's the big idea. That's the big truth here. Now Matthew 13 is foundational to the parables. They're not the first parables Jesus taught. We've been teaching on parables now. This is the fifth message. So he, had, he has used parables already up to this point. But this is still a turning point and a transitional time because really from this point on, he's going to teach primarily in parables. And also, when, if you just start reading in the Bible in Matthew chapter 1... When you come up to Matthew 13, this is going to be like the, the big dose of parables, the first big dose of parables you'll get if you just start reading in the Gospel of Matthew, and now you come up to chapter 13. And in this chapter, there are either seven or eight parables, again, how you, however you want to count them. But these are the parables of the kingdom. Often we see the expression, the kingdom of, of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and here Jesus said this parable speaks about the word of the kingdom. So this is the first parable in Matthew 13. And what is it talking about? The word of the kingdom. That's foundational. And this is also a foundational parable because it's this parable and the next one. What does Jesus do? He gives an interpretation. He interprets these parables for us. And also that's very interesting. The seed... In this parable is interpreted for us. We don't have to guess what the seed is. The seed is the Word of God. In the next parable, the parable of the tares. We don't have to guess what the seed is in that parable. This, the seed is not the Word of God in the next parable. It's the children of the kingdom. 
So now that's really, that throws us for a loop in a way as far as in trying to interpret parables because here we have one, one commodity, a seed, but it means two different things in each of the first two parables. So we have to be careful in seeking to understand the parables. But they are amazing. So I want us to look at this parable of the sower. And may God give us the right heart to hear and understand His Word so we can bring fruit for His glory. We want to be fruitful. We want to bring fruit for His name, for His name's sake. So let's look at these four hearts that Jesus tells about in this parable that we need to have. The first heart that we need to have And it's the opposite of what is being illustrated here by this wayside soil. But we need to have a believing heart. We need to have a believing heart. Now, if you go, I'm going to refer to the different Gospels, but if you go back to Luke chapter 8, and we'll stick primarily there, I might refer back to one of the other Gospel accounts. Now remember, this parable of the sower is given in Matthew 13, in Mark 4, in Luke 8. So when you study the parables, you do want to look at the different cross-references and look at each of the parables. I love to do that. I'm definitely a nerd when it comes to looking for what does Matthew say that Mark doesn't? What does Mark say that Luke doesn't? You know, I love that. Getting down into it. So... The first heart is this wayside, hardened soil. This hardened path pictures an unbelieving heart, which means what kind of heart must we have? A believing heart. Look in Luke chapter 8. Look at verse 12, please. In Luke chapter 8, in verse 12, Jesus says, Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should what? Believe and be saved. So this, this heart, this wayside soil, is definitely an unsaved person with a hard heart. So we need to be saved and have a believing heart. As soon as the seed is put upon this wayside soil, it is quickly, it says, two things happen to it. It's trodden down, and then it's devoured. So it's, it's trampled as worthless, And then it's completely devoured and eaten and wasted by the birds of the air. But notice, in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, where is this word sown? Where's the word? Where is it placed? In Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Read it, you can answer me. In the heart. Think of that. So even though this is a hardened path, the Word is still coming. When the Word of God is preached, it naturally goes to the heart. Now, what happens to the Word of God when it comes into your heart, dear friends? What happens when you hear about Jesus, that He's the Savior of the world? What happens when you hear that Jesus is the One who died on the cross for your sins? What happens when you hear that Jesus rose again from the dead? What happens when you hear that Jesus is coming back in glory and He's the God of heaven and earth and He's going to set up His kingdom forever and the only way to inherit His kingdom is you must be born again? You know what happens for the unbelieving heart? Well, it tells us in this passage, as soon as the Word of God is given, the devil is at work. Because it says when the seed is sown into the heart, look what it says, then cometh the devil. This is a spiritual, something spiritual is going on right now. The devil wants to take the Word out of your heart, dear friends. Mark even says Satan comes immediately. Satan isn't, he's not lazy. <laughs> We, we learned about laziness in our Bible study today. Satan comes immediately to steal the Word. He doesn't loiter. He's always fighting against God's Word. Satan wants to trample the Word of God, which is so precious. And he wants you to think the Word of God is worthless. And it's good for nothing. And, and so he devours it like garbage. So this tells us that Satan comes immediately... That Satan comes to steal the Word. 
and Satan is... So again, a parable is an earthly story, and the earthly story was the birds. So in this parable, the birds represent Satan, because it's Satan that comes to, to trample and devour the Word. So we have to prepare for warfare when we hear the Word of God. Because the devil will ever seek to steal the Word from our hearts. We have to prepare for warfare. Now this wayside soil, you know what it reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of the person who, who would never come to church, but their brother, their sister, their mother, their father, oh, please come to church just this once. I don't want to come. <coughs> it's a waste of time. It, it's, it doesn't mean anything to me. But, but they come because somebody just begs them to come. But their heart is not interested even in what I have to say here today. Maybe you're not even interested. And your heart is as hard as Hudson Street or Broadway. You know, it, it would almost be like sowing tomato seeds on Broadway. How many tomato plants are you going to get? You know, I'm, I'm fascinated when you drive down the highway, you know, like the median of the highway, and they have the concrete. What's always growing out of every little crack? Isn't that amazing how the weeds will grow out of every... I never saw a tomato plant just mistakenly come. And wouldn't that be great if tomato plants could... No, only the weeds! But beloved, what I'm saying here today is if you have this kind of wayside soil, there's a stubbornness in your heart. There's a rebellion against God and His Word. There's a sin that you love that you know God hates. And most often, what keeps a person from having a believing heart is there is a moral reason for someone rejecting God's Word. There's something they want to do that they know God says, that's a sin and you must repent of it. And in Matthew 13, Matthew, talk about the nuance of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew uses one of my favorite original language words. And for those of you who have been coming to Heritage for a while, you know one of my favorite words is the word harpazo. And it's, Jesus used that word when we're in the hand of Jesus. It says that's, that nothing can what? Pluck us? That's the word harpazo. What does that word sound like? Harpoon. Like a harpoon. And it's a violent word. It is a word that speaks about how Satan wants to seize us and catch us and grab us from God and take us away from Him. But Satan can't when we're in Jesus. Amen? But here in Matthew 13, it says that the devil, for the seed on the wayside soil, he, he harpoons that word. He takes out his spiritual harpoon. He says, that seed can't be here. And immediately Satan will come and harpazo away. He will catch away that which was sown in the heart. And it speaks again of the spiritual battle that we are in. And that the authoritative Word of God, Satan will always fight against it. Look at this picture I've found about harp, of a harpoon. Now that's the devil. That's, that's the devil there. He wants to catch away the Word. And he will, he will risk his life to harpoon <coughs> that poor whale. I don't want to think about the whale. I'm not going to have any pictures of that, don't worry. But, but that's a harpoon. That's what Satan wants to do to the Word of God. What a picture. So quick application here is that we need a believing heart to understand and be saved. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. God wants to save us through His Son, Jesus Christ. So we have to understand the Bible. So quick application. I want to encourage you to understand and go to the Bible and read it in a literal way. Read the Bible literally. Where the Bible makes clear sense, seek no other sense. Read the Bible in its context, contextually. Read the Bible grammatically. Read the Bible comparatively. Now, how many of you heard this? Oh, that's just your interpretation. As if there's 150 different interpretations, and that's just yours, so what makes you right? How many of you heard that? Okay, we've heard that. Now, here's what we have to understand. When it comes to interpreting the Bible, we don't interpret the Bible according to how we want to interpret it. 
We don't have to. We interpret the Bible as it interprets itself. The Bible is self-interpreting. You say, well, how? Well, in the New Testament, when Jesus was walking the earth, did they have the Bible? Yes, they had the Old Testament. That's the Word of God. Did Jesus quote or refer to the Old Testament? Yes. How did He interpret it? Literally. When it came to Adam and Eve, Jesus said God made them at the beginning, male and female. So I know all this garbage going on about a hundred different genders and you can choose your own gender. It's a lie from the devil. Yes, that's it. Okay, Jesus interpreted it literally. You know, Jesus believed that Jonah was an actual prophet and guess what? He got swallowed by a whale. I mean, so Jesus interpreted the Bible literally. Jesus believed that Elijah prayed and it did not rain for how many years? Three and a half, just like it said in the Old Testament. It says it in the, in the Gospels. And I could go on and on. Many examples of the New Testament writers interpreting the Bible for us in a literal way. And that's why we believe in a literal six-day creation. God rested on the seventh day as well. Contextually, what do I mean by that? I mean, we have to look at the Scripture in its context. Every verse in the Bible is in a chapter. That chapter is in a book. That book is in the whole of the Bible. So we have to understand the writer's flow of thought in that specific verse we're looking at, as well as understand the context of the historical and the cultural situation. Do you believe that the Bible is a harmonious whole? Do you believe the Bible is a harmonious whole? It tells a whole story. Yes, it does. From creation to consummation. Telling of Jesus Christ and our redemption. The Bible is a harmonious whole and it orderly unfolds God's truth. So we understand the Bible contextually. If we're going to understand with a believing heart, look at the context. Context matters, by the way. For example, I'll give you this example. What if I said to you, it was a ball? What do I mean? Well, if I was at a baseball game and you said, was it a strike? And I said, no, it was a ball. That would mean the pitch was outside. Or what if there was a hole in my kitchen window and you came and said, What was that? Was that a rock that was thrown through my window? And I would say, no, it wasn't a rock. It was a ball. Something different. (laughs) Not a ball versus a strike, but a a ball. Or what what if I went out with my wife? Not that I would. I'm just using this as an illustration. And I said, uh, we went out. Did you go to dinner? No, I said, we went to a... We didn't go to dinner. We went to a ball, which means like a dance. I mean, so, the, so there's a context there. Now, we can understand it in the context. So we have to understand the Bible contextually, grammatically. We have to understand the Bible grammatically. Do you know, when Jesus was challenged with the doctrine of the bodily resurrection... Now, is it important that the Bible teaches there's a bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ? Yes. This is fundamental, foundational to our faith that Jesus Christ rose again bodily... From the grave, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, that's why they're a cult. False teaching. They do not believe that Jesus Christ bodily raised again. So therefore, we reject that doctrine. But anyway, Jesus proved to those who came and attacked Him for the bodily resurrection, because the Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection, Jesus proved that by using a present tense verb. In other words, he used rules of grammar. He interpreted the Bible grammatically. Remember what he said? He says, For God said to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he said to Moses. And Jesus said, God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. To show that God is presently the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had died, but who had been still were alive with the Lord. So I'm saying we have to interpret the Bible grammatically and comparatively. So when I say comparatively, I mean by comparing Scripture with Scripture. 
comparing Scripture with Scripture, comparing spiritual things with spiritual 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. Okay, so we need a believing heart. The second thing is, we must cultivate a tender heart. Go to Luke chapter 8, because the second kind of soil is this rocky soil, the rocky ground. Not the wayside, but here's the rocky soil. And we need to have a tender heart. Not a rocky heart, but a humble heart. Like Josiah, the Bible said when King Josiah heard the Word of God, he, he had a tender heart and he was humble. And he responded to the Lord. So what does it say in Luke chapter 8 and verse 6? It says, Some fell upon a rock. As soon as it was sprung up, it withered because it lacked moisture. So this seed went on the rock and it, it could not go down deep. It could, so it had no depth of soil. It had no moisture. Luke tells us this. And so it couldn't put its roots down and therefore it brought no fruit. So... This seed on the rocky ground had no depth, no moisture, no roots, and bore no fruits. It was scorched. It sprung up quickly, but it withered away when the sun came out. That's the story. And so what's the spiritual application of this story of the seed on the stony ground? And think of that. Just think of a seed on the, on the stony ground with a little bit of earth. At first, it got just enough down so it could spring up and say, Oh, it's going to be a beautiful, fruitful plant. But it couldn't put its roots down. It didn't have enough moisture. And then the sun came out and it burned it and it quickly died. So what is this picture? This picture is the reality of this. And I hope you're still listening. There will be external pressures in your life you are going to have problems. Okay, Put it that way. You know what a problem is. You're going to have a situation. Talk to Vinny about that. He'll tell you about his situations. You're going to have a trial. You're going to struggle. And those external pressures of tribulation, and the different gospel writers use words like tribulation, affliction, persecution, temptation. Look with me down in verse number 13, Luke chapter 8. Verse 13, they are on the rock which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. Oh, wow, praise God, they're saved. They receive, it seemed like, oh, yes, this, is a tr- this person got saved and we're excited for them. The grace of God is at work in their life. We're so happy. But they have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. The temptation. You're going to have trouble. I guarantee you. Are you ready? There's going to be external pressures that will seek to destroy your faith. But you have to have a tender heart. So, the roots can go down deep into the soil. You need the moisture of God's Word in your life. You need to pray. And then you can grow and you can bring forth fruit because the same sun that causes the seed on the rocky ground to be burned and scorched, that same sun will help the seed in the good ground to grow. So you can grow through trials. You can grow through struggles. Through those problems, you pray through them. And you see God work. And you see God answer prayer. And you see God heal. And you see God provide. And you see God work out the problems that you're going through. And you say, what a great God I serve. Spurgeon told a story in his sermon on this passage of a man. He could curse and swear and drink more than any man for miles around. But then he accepted the Lord. He seemed he was saved. And if there was a church service, he was there. If there was somebody who needed help, he would help. And Spurgeon himself knew this man, and he said, I thought he was a bright jewel in the Redeemer's crown. And we all rejoiced at what God's grace could do. And Spurgeon went on about this man who had lived such a drunken life. But, so old friends, you're a fanatic. What got into you? Oh, you believe that silly Bible? 
Come on back with us. And after a while, he stopped going to prayer meetings. Didn't, didn't read his Bible as much. Stopped praying. Oh, Sunday came around. Oh man, I'm just not in the mood today. And then soon, he went back to the drinking and to the confusion of God's people. The, the Christians who had saw him in church praising God now see him back in the streets drunk. And then the world mocks. Ah, you Christians! Look at this one you say became a Christian and now he's become a drunk like he was before. Don't you know someone like that? <laughs> they were then and they are now. Some people, they just seem like they're saved. Let me ask you this. Listen. Listen to me. Are you truly saved? Are you going to... Are you going to steadfastly follow? Because there's going to be trials. You're going to face trials and troubles. If, you, if your heart is, is, is a rocky heart and the Word of God can't find its deep root there, you're, you're not going to stand for the Lord. The Word of God must break through our rocky heads and our rocky hearts. The Word of God has to penetrate the bedrock of our personality and invade the dark caverns of our character. Let the Word of God penetrate the very bedrock of your being, I say. And then fear none of those things which you shall suffer. Even though the devil will cast you into prison, and you may be tried, and you shall have tribulation ten days, be thou faithful unto death. The Lord said, I will give you a crown of life. So how can, the question here, how can you have this kind of tender heart so that when you face the external pressures, you won't go back, but you'll be faithful to the Lord? So I'm just going to give a couple practical suggestions here is you have to commit yourself to take time to pray. Now, when I say get to commit to take time to pray, I'm not saying you have to do this for three hours, but I really want to encourage you to get your Bible, go someplace, maybe as quiet as possible, and get your Bible and open up your Bible. And if you're just starting, start in the... When I started reading the Bible, I started reading in Matthew. I just read Matthew, and then I read Mark, and guess what I read after Mark? Luke, and after Luke I read John. Guess what I read after that? Acts. After Acts, I said, oh, I think I'll read Rome. Okay, you got the idea. And then I went, after I finished Revelation, guess where I, I started reading? I said, hmm, where, I, that's the end of the book. Oh, but I didn't read the beginning, so I went back to the beginning. And I started reading Genesis. And, and so I read through the Bible, now I'm using a... Bible program, Pastor Carmine, I don't know if you're still using, but I, I use uh, Grant Horner's Bible reading systematic method. It's really excellent. There's ten different scriptures and I could give it to you. And there's a website you could look up. But, but the thing is, you've got to open the Bible. And when you open up the Bible, I recommend get down on your knees for at least some of the time. And then pray over the Scripture. And say, Lord, help me to understand Your Word. And honestly, I pray over my sermons. I pray over my sermons. I pray over the Word. I, 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 get, on my knee, I get on my knees. I don't, I'm not the greatest prayer warrior. I'm not saying I am. But we do have to pray and take the time. Get a notebook. God's going to speak to you. When He speaks to you, what do you want to do? Write it down. So get a notebook, have a prayer journal, have some prayer requests, pray for your church family, pray for your, 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 your biological family, pray for your friends, pray. Be committed. And then read consistently and systematically. Do not be haphazard. So when I say consistent, how often should we read the Bible? We should try to do it every day. What if I skip a day? Oh, I failed. Oh, I give up. I can't do it every day, so I guess I won't do it at all. No, 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 no. If you skip the day, just start the next day. Okay? Don't kill yourself. But seek to be as consistent as possible. Now, I find you have to have pretty much the same time of day. Find this. 
to be consistent, whether in the morning or the afternoon or night, whichever works best for you. Myself, it's best for me the first thing. I get up in the morning, I put on the Bible, I'm listening to it, and then I sit down with my my breakfast, my Wheaties, and my peach in the middle of the summer, which I love so much. And then, you know, read the Word and be in the Word and then get on my knees and pray. Consistent, systematic. And in your reading, if there's even one verse that grabs your attention, write it down, meditate on it, and let God's Word sink into your heart. It is possible for someone to come to church year after year and never be changed. Is that you? It is possible for somebody to come to church year after year and never even be saved. Is that you? We heard a powerful message recently, and we're going to take an offering for our brother today, Oscar Rubin. That was a great message about church members who are lost. And who was his example that he used? Remember? He used Judas as a powerful example. Somebody who even did miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet, Judas was a son of perdition. He was lost. That's really convicting when you think about it. And all of us need to examine ourselves. But are you in the Word on a consistent basis. And when I say consistent, I don't believe once a week is consistent. I'm saying you're making it your habit to do it every day, and yeah, you skip a day here or there, but I mean, consistent, I believe, is at least... How often do you eat? Do you, do you ever say, oh, wow, I forgot to eat today? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe if you were fasting and your stomach shrank, and you know, when you fast for a while, you, you, you don't feel your stomach after a day or two. But the thing is, there's a lot of... Sp- a lot of Christians like that too. They're fasting in the... You don't fast from the Bible. <laughs> when you fast, you go to the Bible. <laughs> go to the Bible! I'm not going to finish the message, so don't worry. I think we just need to hear this right now. You want your soul filled? You want to be satisfied in your innermost being? Let the Word of the Kingdom come into your heart. And God will speak to you. Yes, there will be a spiritual battle because as soon as the Word of God will come to you, Satan will be fighting you. And you have to say, oh, in the name of Jesus Christ, I'm seated with you in the heavenly places, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke those wicked demons and spirits that want to take the Word of God from me. And Lord, may Your Word come into my heart. May it find deep root. May I be fruitful for Your kingdom and for Your glory. Let's stand together as we pray, please. Let's stand together as we pray. Maybe there's somebody here today that's not saved. Would you call on the Lord today? If there's anyone here today that's not saved, would you say, I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, there's none like Jesus... No one is like Jesus. He's like no one else who died on the cross for your sins. After living a perfect life of righteousness, He died though He owed no debt to die. But He took your sins in His body on the cross to suffer the penalty of our sins, which is death even in hell. He suffered hell for us on the cross, dear friends. And He rose again. He broke the power of death. He breaks the power of sin and Satan. Trust in Jesus. And dear friend, for those of us who are saved, don't become casual and lazy in your spiritual life to just go from day to day and forget to pray or forget to read the Word of God. Let the great sower, Jesus is the great sower of the seed. And when you open up your Bible, 
Let him sow that seed into your heart. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When you read your Bible, I want you to picture that. As you read that word, Jesus is sowing that seed into your heart so you could be fruitful, so you could be loving, so husbands can love their wives, so their wives could be respectful and submissive, so the children can be obedient, that you could be powerful in your life to overcome your pride, your lust, your selfishness, your jealousy, your anger. Oh, Lord, help us. I'm going to pray a prayer, a special prayer for us, a hundredfold fruit prayer, because this parable ends that some brought forth 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. I believe we all want to be hundredfold fruit. We want to bring forth a hundredfold fruit. Amen? So let's pray that prayer. Lord Jesus, give us that believing heart that would be tender to Your Word to take deep root that we can bring forth a hundredfold fruit from our lives. Oh, Spirit of God, break up the foul ground that no rocks remain. Pluck up and remove the thorns of care and worry. And Lord, bring forth that hundredfold fruit for Your glory. Lord, thirty or sixtyfold increase would be good. But You said that there could be a hundredfold increase. And this is possible, Lord, as You're refreshing dew, as You sow that seed into our lives. God, may Your fruit be found in us. Nothing is too hard for You, Lord. Thank You for Your loving kindness. Thank You for heaven's sunlight that will light our pathway. And so, Lord, fill us with Your love and joy and peace, Spirit of God. And may multitudes come to know You as we walk with You on these streets of New York City so that one day we'll walk together the transparent, glassy streets of gold. We praise You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.